Links Out Loud is firing up our microphones, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expand upon. We keep the banner friendly of the conversation, well, somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. This week, we are spouting off about tips for Linux noobs. Let's get into episode 56. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by Linode and Bitwarden. And with you today is that awesome, lizard-loving Nate who just bleeds open Sousa Green every Thanks, day. Thanks, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> and with me today are my fine co-host, Nate, the person with a totally unhealthy obsession with OpenSUSE, despite how much he will say otherwise. And Wendy, the person who I'm at this point not sure if she's more into photography or robotics. Robotics. What's going on, guys? <laughs> right now, I would say robotics is my entire life, not <laughs> photography. So, yeah. I dream about robotics. Yeah, my life is robotics at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and we're even talking about possibly continuing robotics through the summer. So Ooh. robotics is my all-lifetime Every day, it's all I do anymore. But on that particular trend, Wendy, there is something you've been using for, I'm assuming, robotics, because that's your life right now. <laughs> well, getting ready for Worlds anyway. So our older sibling, the Tesla Coils, also made it to Worlds. And one of the things we're going to hand out, because you have to have stuff to hand out at your table, are buttons. So we're going to make a bunch of the POW buttons for our team and my co-mentor has asked me to print off the Tesla coils buttons. Why hmm. am I printing them off? Because I have a laser printer and they look so clean and crisp from the laser printer instead of inkjet. And then instead of using the punch in order to punch out all of the circles, I'm letting the Cricut do the work. So I set it up there and then I have it cut it. One of the things that I dislike about the Cricut is their print then cut waste so much of the paper so i could only get six buttons on one where i could probably get a few more if they gave you more room on the print and the cut but it makes hmm. it so much easier to use the punch because i have punched out the circles before with it and if you're doing you know maybe a hundred two hundred 250 your hand's going to be a little sore the palm of your hand's going to be a little sore by the time that you're done but we're looking at 1600 buttons 800 buttons per team there is wow. no way i want to hand punch all those buttons so the cricket's doing the work for that i got the file from my co-mentor printed out some test ones got them cut so i can take them to her and make sure she really likes the way they look and then be printing and cutting 800 buttons there last time i was making buttons for the building beast i had accidentally printed out way too many buttons and had them all pre-cut so there's like 250 sitting there so there's that much less i don't have to do for the building beast team but we're going to have some button making parties going on right here and i've got another reason to live at my desk, and that is using the Cricut to cut buttons. I don't know if party is the right word that I would use, button-making party. <laughs> I guess grab a <laughs> glass of wine. I've got some huckleberry wine there in the fridge and cut buttons, and I guess that could be called a party of one. Yeah, you know, whatever it takes. sad, isn't it? 
I guess it's not an awful thing. I was being a little facetious. Yes, a uh, button-making party. Everyone's going to have a great time. Get a little callus, maybe a few blisters. It'll be great. Come on over. It'll be awesome. Yeah, because we are definitely going to have the kids' input when it comes to physically making the buttons. Mm -hmm. My co-mentor has the button press. We've used it, obviously, before. And I was kind of looking at getting my own so that we've got another one on hand. The kids would have a ton of fun making buttons, too. I mean, come on, really. If nothing else, it gets them ready to you know, work in a factory. Constant repetitiveness. Yes, absolutely. You made one <laughs> little comment about how your cre-cut cre doesn't, uh, cry-cut doesn't, you can only put so many <laughs> per page, per sheet of material. I can't efficiently arrange them, or what's the... Uh... So that's only with the print then cut. So you have oh, your okay. design, you send it to the printer... And it also prints this black box around whatever it is. Okay. And so then when you put it back into the Cricut, it looks for where that black line is, kind of calibrates itself. So it's cutting around those different things the way you oh, want to. It's okay. one of the ways that you can actually make stickers and stuff in here. But gotcha. my standard sheet of paper... I feel like there's wasting a whole lot of space that they could make that border a little bit bigger. That's my only complaint with the print then cut sort of things. I did have to calibrate it the first time I was trying to use that feature. The cuts were way off. And so you have to go through the process of print it, put it through the Cricut. It cuts on different lines, different ways. You tell it, yep, this is the one where it's the closest, where it actually cuts center. And after the calibration process, it's so awesome. The cuts are so clean that your border is exactly wherever you want it. So one of our goals is to get an inkjet printer because it's really, really hard to find sticker paper that works with a laser. They just lay that powdered, quote-unquote, ink down at way too high of a temperature that mm. most materials don't really like that especially if you're talking about a vinyl sticker right so the plan is to get a second printer an inkjet printer actually we want three but think that's just one of them the second printer will be for some of those other crafty things where the laser doesn't work for and as far as the buttons go the graphics on that are so crisp they look so nice and our buttons the pow buttons have a qr code on them and while they worked with the one that my co-mentor used on the inkjet printer everything was just so much more crisp on my laser so different printers have different ways in which they work well, different mediums in which they work best. And for all of our school stuff, I wouldn't go back to anything but this laser printer. Love it so much, but there is now a reason for us to get an inkjet as well. Just make sure you use the genuine HP inks. I'm kidding. I don't care what you use. <laughs> there are some HP ones that I've been looking at, but we'll probably go with Epson. The one printer will definitely be an Epson printer it's the one that we're going to convert into reservoir printer or whatever well it'll end up transferring on to shirts so you print it with a special oh, okay ink, yep and then heat transfer it so we'll buy a brand new epson for that and it'll only have that specialty ink in it for fabrics and right. then another inkjet printer which will probably go with one of the ones that have the refillable tanks i know hp has some some of the most popular ones are epson but I need to figure out where I am putting two more printers. And they're all for different things. They all have different functions. Gotcha. Printers, printers everywhere. Well, that sounds like fun. I'm interested in hearing how it goes with the t-shirt printing 
I just want to see how that goes, like how the heat transfer process. They're probably going to use an iron, I imagine. Are you going to have one of those? I have one from Cricut. Oh, imagine that because I have done <laughs> the heat transfer vinyl. So we would use the exact same one. The awesome thing about that one is you can set the temperature and then a timer on it. So it goes off at a specific time. So hmm. you're not trying to count down because I get distracted as kids are coming in and out of the room or whatever. And no fooling. then you can have the heat specifically. I know you never <laughs> would get the heat set specifically for whatever ink or whichever brand of heat transfer vinyl mm -hmm. we're doing, whatnot. So I already have a larger one that we can use once we get that printer set up. I'm hoping to have that here in the near future. And as soon as I do, of course, I'll be telling you guys all about it. So it's something that I'm talking about other than robots. I feel like maybe Wendy, instead of camera corner, it's like maker's corner at this point. What is Wendy making now? Besides <laughs> robots, t-shirts, something with her cry cut? All kinds of fun things. And I'm not the only one making stuff. You seem to have gotten your 3D printer working and you even have some of those parts up on Thingiverse and a couple other places. This is true. So the problem was I needed to run Conduit in Cubicle Labs from the east side of the building to the west side of the building. And because it is an industrial building, I can't just run Rolmax, you know, open wire and staple them to the wall. But one, the walls are metal, so it's really hard to staple into that. Two, it's against code, and I'm not about to break code for my convenience. I got three-quarter inch conduit, and I wanted to, it's enough to run, I'm running two different circuits in there, at two 20-amp circuits. And the issue that I have is, along the beams where I want to run it, the easiest place, essentially, I needed to get some kind of clamps. And the clamps that I looked at on Amazon or elsewhere were really expensive per clamp, but I didn't even like the design very much. I didn't want to spend $50, $60 on clamps. So I ended up designing and printing off, it took like three iterations to get exactly how I want it, a little clamp essentially. I mean, I think clamp is probably not quite the right word. It's more of a clip than a clamp, but it does clamp, clamping force. And it just goes over the I-beam. It slides right over the top of it. And I should say right on the I-beam. And then I can pop the PVC, the three-quarter inch PVC conduit right in that. I could use metal conduit too. It'd hit the same, I think. But eh, PVC is easier to deal with than just buy the parts and glue it together. So I ran the conduit. It actually worked nicer than I thought. I designed it to be able to like put a screw in there to like kind of lock it in place. But I put enough clamping force on the part itself, like with the throat size is just slightly less than that of the I-beam. And because the I-beam has like, you know, that surface scale scaling, that rust that I-beams tend to have, there's a lot of friction there and it holds really quite nicely. It's kind of hard to get on there to begin with. And then just kind of bit of thwack it on. And also it's sturdy enough that I can actually support like a 10 inch piece of this PVC as it's kind of dangling there, like when I'm trying to put it all in place. So it's strong enough to be able to handle the twisting forces, the torsional forces and, and everything else. It looks much nicer than the commercial clamps I could have bought. It just has a cleaner look about it as well. So I'll have an article published on that. Uh, it's in process at the time of recording, but by the time this is edited and goes out, it'll be published on cubiclenate.com. Sweet. I'm excited to see exactly what these look like. I've never had to deal with anything like that, so I can't even picture exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, actually, I will give you a link to Thingiverse. I don't know why I didn't do that earlier. Sweet. Cool. Can't find it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, okay. Log in. Yes, remember me. Sign in. All right. All right, there you go. It's in our chat. Why, thank you. It's very simple. It's a very simple design. How many test prints did you have to do on this one? Or it's simple enough that you didn't even have to worry about test prints. You knew exactly what you wanted. It came out exactly how it needed to be the first time. Two revisions I made on the original. 
originally I was going to have it so I screwed the thing in place. And then actually, as I was doing it, there was some areas where over some insulation, except it has some blown insulation that's kind of on it as well. It was like nice and tight. And I thought, oh, that's pretty nice. But well, I actually, I'm going to make it so there's a bit of an interference fit, as it would be called, where nice. the throat is actually slightly smaller than the, what you're clamping onto. My first iteration, I just kind of made like a little bump down because I didn't want to have it about the entire length for reasons. That I don't want it to be like an open scissor kind of a right. clamping. Yeah. I want it to be more of like a, if you can see the design, how it is. I did one and it was tight. It was okay, but just it wasn't as tight as I wanted. So I made it like an, I added one more millimeter to the thickness, that little bump down, and it was just absolutely perfect. It had a real nice, tight feeling across there. So if somebody else wants to modify that for whatever they're doing, you can just change one dimension in there to open it up to whatever size you want. And then, well, within the limit of the, the maximum amount that the throat can be there, right? then uh, that'll be fine. Is it the most efficient? Of designs, no, but I wanted something that was just quick and dirty that I could just get done. You only see the very bottom of it anyway, and it looks a lot better than the uh, uh, the conduit clamps that are up what there What material now. did you use on this? I used ABS because I wanted something that was slightly flexible that would bend. Hold up. Yeah, where the conduit pops in, it does have to flex out and then come back in. So I think PLA would probably be fine. I didn't test PLA. I don't know. I've printed some things with PLA that need to do that. One was for the connector box that goes to the kids vr headset mm -hmm. so the vr headset connects into the box and then there's cords that come out of that into the computer or whatnot and i printed an under desk one and it just didn't work that well maybe it was just my printer some of the other settings that i have on but it was still just way too brittle for me mm. so i think abs or petg is probably definitely the best way to go yeah it could be i have printed other clips like for my 3d printer to hold like for cable management yeah one or two of those have already broken or partially broken it's not a big deal it still kind of does its job but not as well not as well and it's not bad enough that i'll set up to print more things but if i shift things around again then i would have to i guess if that makes any sense yeah that makes sense that makes a lot of sense. I do have a picture showing a couple of iterations on the Thingiverse page where you can see like one's opening's a little bit bigger, the throat, than the other. Yeah. Very happy with how it printed. Just kind of print it on its side, you know, so there's no uh, supports required and take it off and use it immediately. Very nice. Glad your 3D printer's working. You can just run over here and uh, work on mine while I go do robotics. Okay, so let me tell you about the three, <laughs> this little side tangent. You can probably delete this after the fact, but... The 3D printer okay. is working, sort of. I can print ABS, no problem. But if I go to print PLA, I still get clogging in the tube. And so it has to be I'm not dispersing the heat very well. So as I'm like dorking around with it, trying to print some PLA, and like it gets some like stringy mess that's coming out, I notice a bunch more stuff got sucked up into that fan. And I'm thinking, I wonder if I've damaged that fan that cools. Mine's got to be replaced because that's the only thing I can think of too, is I'm not getting good enough heat dispersal and yeah. that fan needs to be replaced. That's got to be what it is because there is no other thing that could be the problem. I, you know, I've seen stuff get sucked up in there before and maybe that is the problem. Not an issue for ABS because it has that higher melting point. Probably an issue right. for PLA, which still to me, it shouldn't be. I'm not running it as hot. I don't know. An issue in there somewhere. Yeah. I've opened it up and I've checked. There's nothing clogging it in there. There's nothing wrong with the nozzle. It's all clear, but it still gets clogged up. Well, we'll figure these dang things out eventually. Yeah, then I'm having a, a new problem. I replaced the board in it again, the main board. I didn't tell you about that. but Again? I, yeah. It wasn't extruding at all. Like I'd send it, tell it to extrude and it wouldn't extrude. And so I thought, well, maybe that's what's causing it to clog it because it's getting intermittently printing. I get the new board, I do it, and it's working just fine. And then I go to print again, it starts, it's extruding just fine, and then it just stops extruding. I'm like, well, I don't know what's going on here. So if I cancel the print and then I restart the print, then it's fine. So now I wonder if I'm having an issue with Octoprint 
where it's not sending the message to extrude. I can extrude it from the controls right on the printer, but it's not extruding all the time when I send a print to it. And that was after an update too. So I don't know if maybe something screwy came down. I don't know. I have a bit of a poltergeist as it were. I got a mat inside my <laughs> printer. 3D printers are like old tractors. They are a never ending story of all the work you have to do on them. <laughs> old tractors are old trucks. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Speaking of old tractors, Matt, you're doing a lot of driving. <laughs> Yeah, due to some family, personal stuff uh, that has required me to do driving, driving, and more driving. And I just remember one thing, why I dislike long-form driving. I don't do very well with it myself, so I feel bad for you because it's not like just one long drive. It's long drives frequently. Mm -hmm. And right now it's long drives frequently. That, that's why I'm, I'm not a fan. I don't really have much to add to this week. I'm definitely uh, just traveling a lot, uh, not by choice, but by necessity. Don't have anything to add, nothing for gaming or 3D printing or just in general. Not even the Steam Deck? Get nothing on the Steam Deck. Okay, so here's my advice to you. While you're driving, you can either listen to podcasts. Don't play on the Steam Deck. We would like you to come back. Actually, I was <laughs> going to say do play on the Steam Deck because people text and drive all the time. You could probably play like a JRPG <laughs> while you're driving. I don't see that as a problem, you know? Just make sure you look up every five minutes or so. You'll be fine. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not giving driving advice. You know, don't come after me if you think that's a good idea. Nate. If you think it's a good idea, you're an idiot. I wouldn't take your driving advice kind of like I wouldn't take your distro advice. But my distro <laughs> advice is good. My driving advice is not. Actually, my driving advice is pay attention to the road. Yeah, that's probably most important. Yeah. Hi there. Magneto here. This episode of Linux Out Loud is brought to you by Linode. Visit linode.com slash tux and see why over a million developers trust Linode for their infrastructure needs. Are you wanting to build your own website? Of course you are. Most entry-level hosting services are fine. For a while. But if you want to be in control, do what you want, and actually own your website, Linode is where you step up to powerful, totally customizable cloud hosting. So whether you're into gaming, stuck on a proprietary website builder, or just need something to put on the cloud and access it anywhere. Linode is there for you. Every plan comes with Linode's amazing human-powered customer support. If you need help, someone will be there to pick up the phone, respond to your email, or reply to you on social media 24-7-365. Visit linode.com tux to create a free account. Plus, you'll get 60-day, $100 credit to your account. Thanks for listening. So generically on the show, we tend to talk about, in Wendy's case, 3D printing a lot. In Nate's case, 3D printing a lot. In my case, video games a lot. However, we also talk about tips that we have for Linux noobs on occasion and making that switch and whatnot. So there was a discussion going on in the text digital forums about kind of number one tips that people would give to Linux noobs. And we haven't really had that conversation so I thought that would be an interesting topic for us to take a look at. So, Wendy, what are some of the ones that you noticed from that conversation thread or have some of your own? I would say one of my favorite ones from this list is from Jast. I hope I'm saying that right. There's a lot more to that name. But the biggest thing here, the biggest point here is when you're looking at distros, 
ignore the drama and that's exactly what is being said here ignore the drama you find pertaining to linux distros and keep in mind this software is made by people and that's just it there is drama around some of the different distributions out there some drama that people play onto say larger distributions and don't let some of that stop you from giving one a whirl because there may be something about that particular distro that even though there was some drama off to the side about it with people, it could be your jam. It could be your distro that is your forever home. Nate found his in OpenSUSE. I was on Manjaro. It's not like I will never go back there. I've just been on Garuda. And for the most part, those two distros are very, very similar and they're an arch base and they have a lot of the stuff that I need. So there could be something out there that is the perfect distro for you and don't let the drama stop you from giving it a try. Yeah, I think that's good advice for sure. I don't key in on much of the drama, although I do see it every once in a while. To me, I just, frankly, I just roll my eyes and, and like whatever. Right. I mean, the fact of the matter is Linux is built by people and people sometimes do, you know, people things and, and sometimes people things... <laughs> upset other people. And so you can't let yourself get wrapped around it. You know, someone says something you disagree with, or they have a, what they think is a good idea may not align with what your good idea is. And the nice mm -hmm. thing about open source is that if one project out there goes in a direction that you don't necessarily agree with, there's some other projects out there that might be more aligned to you. It's not like you have to dislike the one you left. It's not like you're breaking up with somebody and you're moving to somebody else. I, mean, I guess it could be for somebody, but it's not. You're working with what works best with you, and then you can go forward with that. You know, some projects are a little more loosey-goosey on how they govern. Like, for instance, OpenSUSE is very loosey-goosey, and so there's not really like that clear-cut, you got to do it this way. They're just kind of, you know, whatever you want to do is cool. Mind you, OpenSUSE has its drama too. I ignore it, but it has it. Ignore it. That's a great one. Now, one that I thought was a really good thing was from Ulfnik. He says, buy a second hard drive to run Linux on. This is boot from an M.2 or USB converter to install it on a second machine. Don't dual boot. Transition slowly, taking plenty of time to finish both the desktop and the OS that are most comfortable for you to use. I think that's a good idea. That's not how I did it, but I think that probably makes sense for most people. For most people that, to kind of continue along Wolfnick's line of thought, there was another comment talking about having a second machine. Mm -hmm. Yep, Arch. <laughs> Same deal. If you're going to have and try Linux or really anything, most people like that safety net. I get it. For me, I would totally recommend the secondary hard drive. Make use of the live environments. If you only mm -hmm. have one machine, make use of the live environments that are available from the distros and you know USB bootable devices. That is good advice. I would also kind of go along that route and give people applications that they're going to use on Linux on their prior platform. So that way, like the underlying change really isn't going to matter a whole lot because most people are, I'm talking, you know, mom, pop, not tech users generically, are going to just be looking for applications. They're not going to care what the, the base is. Ignoring the things like some of the drama and everything else definitely helps when, let's see if I can word that right. You probably can't. I can't. Um, <laughs> just say it. Ignoring some of the drama and the arguments that are in the community is definitely some great advice. One of them was talking about avoiding wine, and that's kind of why I say if you're going to make the switch to Linux, you have to be open-minded personally. You have to understand it's going to be different. If you're willing to jump to a Mac from Windows, you're open-minded enough to be willing to understand that the Mac's going to be different. So don't apply the Windows logic to Linux. Insert distro choice here. Right. That is my biggest gripe that I usually find is people try applying 
prior knowledge because you know like katie as an example i'm just using as an example looks defaultly very much like windows insert version here yeah they don't interoperate the same from a graphical user point of view you're not going to be in that same wheelhouse of oh yeah there's a file manager there's a browser so you're going to have similarities but similarities are not drop-in replacements that's always been my biggest thing and people have to keep that frame of reference of use but also understand that it's going to be different just because it's similar it's kind of like when you work at one job and go to any another job that is similar but that job is going to have a different way of doing things you know i'm not opposed to trying wine in fact i was a pretty heavy wine user early on in my linux time oh golly it's been 20 years newsflash <laughs> it's 2023 nate it doesn't look right probably been more than 20 years it's almost 20 years since i used it full-time but not since i started using it gotcha i would say if there are some windows applications that you need to run on linux Depending on what they are, you may want to look it up either at codeweavers.com to see if you can buy a license of crossover Linux and run those applications in Windows. A lot of them will work and will work quite well. Not all of them. If you just got to have your Microsoft Office. I don't know. I haven't run anything since 2013, Office 2013. Well, Office now you can get in a browser, though if you have a hard copy of it, you may want to still use that. And I don't know if they'll allow you to or not. Uh, Wine definitely has come a long way since then. But I think as long as it's well supported, bottles would probably be much easier for the newbie coming to it because it's this little container they've got this fantastic user interface and it still allows you to run a lot of those different windows-based applications launch them in a way that feels more like they're native to your system i really really like bottles and so that would be my recommendation for someone if there are specific windows applications that they need bottles is the first place i would go just because of the ease of setup and everything that they have there and along the same lines as what you guys were talking about earlier i've had other people ask me you know i'm not fully ready to do linux full-time can i dual boot and my answer is exactly the same as Ulfnix. Just get a second drive. Don't have those two interacting with each other because it never fails. There's an update on one or the other and it messes with something and now your whole computer's down or maybe only one will boot. There's just more problems than you really want to deal with. So it's worth it to spend the money on a second drive to save yourself the headache of one of them messing up the other one during an update. So funny you should say that. Bottles actually, it looks like an open source implementation of the Codeweaver's crossover Linux. Oh, wow. So that's pretty cool. So yeah, you, you can use bottles. I choose to pay for the uh, Codeweaver's thing because they contribute to Proton and everything else. So it's another way I can just kind of contribute nice. for the development of all this stuff. But yeah, it uses that. And that's actually, it's really cool how this works. And it has a similar bottles thing. So I have like Windows 98 bottles for old applications. Yes, I still have some old Windows stuff I like to run. And then um, <laughs> Windows XP bottles and Windows 7, I think. I don't know how many they have, but I just, I've only ever used 7, 10, and uh, 98, XP and 98. It's really great for that because you can run an old edutainment software, which I think is fun to play with. It's actually really fun in numerous ways, but I have some old edutainment stuff from the 90s. Actually, I think they're really good. They hold up as far as the enjoyment of using them, and the kids like them too, and I like them more than a lot of the web stuff. Yeah. That's why I like to use that. Yeah, so I would say get a list of what it is that you run in Linux prior to jumping over. I don't know if that'd be my number one tip, but that's close. That's, that might be number two tip. My number one tip would be talking to other people in Linux. People like this community. 
where you can say, these are the things that I need, and they can point you in the right direction. Yeah, you may get different opinions from several different people. They may be relatively the same. But talking to somebody who has used some of those different distributions and some of those different applications, being able to say, okay, this is what your workflow looks like. This is what your computer needs are. These are the different ways that you can approach it. What are you most comfortable with? I think is one of the best starts because for a lot of people, Linux can be very, very overwhelming because there are so many different options. For me, when I did my switch to Linux, I was so mad at Windows. I didn't care. I just was diving in <laughs> full force. But for other people that are trying to dip their toes in the water, just having that conversation, being part of some of these different communities where you're like, hey, I'm new. I'm just checking things out. These are the things that I need from my computer. What applications that you guys know work well? Because there's a difference between doing searches for applications you install and you're like, well, gosh, dang it. It sounded good on the website, but it's not doing the things that I need it to do. And just those real world experiences using some of those things. Yeah, I think my transitioning over to Linux was very similar to yours. I was just so frustrated with Windows. I could care less about so many things. I was willing to give up a lot of things that I enjoyed on Windows just because of the experience on Windows was just so dreadful. Right. I think it's worse now with Windows 10. I haven't tried 11 yet. Uh, From what I understand, 11 is... 11 is horrid, horrid, horrid. 10 was bad. 11 takes all the worst aspects of 10 and implements them even worse. Yay. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. So as far as distributions to try, what's a good place to start? There's probably more controversy on that today than there was a year ago. But if you're going to hand somebody a distro just to just give it a test drive, you know, take it around the block, see how it goes make sure the wheels don't fall off. What would you say would be a good starting point? That's a pretty big sigh. It all depends on the user, honestly. Well, sure. Let's say it's someone who's not technically all that savvy. They just want to do basic computery type things. They don't have any like major needs for anything, just a basic something to try just to see if I can get along with it. So my in-laws just have very, very basic function. All they need really is to use their web browser. They don't do much else, though I have installed a couple other things for them. Of course, you have to have Solitaire, which is probably the digital game I play the most. It's the only game on my phone. So it works as being one of the games on their computer, but I have them running Fedora. Now I say that with a caveat because I wouldn't just straight up hand them Fedora. I added the other stuff. I added the repositories on it before handing it over. For the case of my dad, I know that I could talk him through certain things if something went wrong, but still a fairly basic system that you could do everything very cleanly in the GUI. I handed him elementary. There are some people I'd still feel comfortable handing them that distribution, maybe Ubuntu. What I wouldn't want to do is tell someone that's brand new that's not comfortable digging through some of the stuff, installing new repos, I wouldn't just hand them a Fedora system. So I do love Fedora. It's actually on the kitchen system. It's on the coding laptops, but it kind of depends on the level. Are they installing it themselves? Am I walking them through installing it? Is it a situation where I have the hardware, I'm installing and prepping it and then handing it over to them. That will have some variation in what they're being given at the time. Yeah, I was going to say for me, I'm very much in the kind of the same boat. I will never 
for the life of me have a flat out here's my distro recommendation for anybody based solely on just i want to try linux because everybody this is the the strength and the weakness of linux and you know i'm not talking fragmentation the breadth of choice that most users are not going to be used to but that breadth of choice creates all these niche very specific distros that tailor to a certain audience so it's more finding the right audience and leading that person to what would be a better user experience overall for them. I think that's kind of what our job is as community people, you know, Linux representatives, whatever you want to call it, that talk about Linux and use it and daily drive it and all the other stuff is helping people even have a starting point on their road to their forever home when it comes to a distro. Do I have starting points for some people? Yeah. Do I have like a flat, like here's a Linux distro on a USB that I'm just going to hand you? No, I don't. I honestly, that's just not how I operate <laughs> when it comes to tech. It really isn't. Unfortunately, I can't really answer that question. If they're a Windows user, you know, you're going to ask what they do in Windows. If they're a Mac user, you're going to ask what they do in Mac. It all depends. It really depends on the user to me. For me, it depends largely on how far away do they live from me and what is their technical <laughs> yeah. expertise level. Because for some people, you just want to hand them something and then, or maybe even install it for them and then walk away. Some people, if they are like in the, in the maker space, I'm going to probably recommend one thing over another. But if they just want to like something to run, I might like hand them a USB of like Linux Mint. I know that is not maybe not as popular to say today as it was five or six years ago, but I still think Linux Mint from install to running is simple enough and familiar enough. I think they do have some sort of an application center to get all the basic applications you need if you want to add stuff. They don't have to explain much. I think Ubuntu's tend to as well. As much as I love Plasma, I may or may not recommend it only because Plasma is so configurable. When my mom would still want to use a computer, I gave her Plasma. About every week or so, I'd have to come back and like restore the desktop. Even after I locked it, <laughs> she would still somehow yeah. like screw up all the widgets. I'd have to restore her panel and everything else. And then I'd, I'd lock it again and be good for a while. I don't know how she did it. She was great at just obliterating the layout. I give her a lot of credit for that. Because not everyone has that sort of um, ability. That super talent? <laughs> yeah, it was a super talent. She doesn't care to even use one now. But yeah, so for a while there, she was using... Actually, I think it was OpenSUSE the last time, the last thing she used. So, But it was Shock. a 32-bit laptop. It was quite a while ago. Wow. Oh, no, I meant the OpenSUSE part. Shock. Well, she's using Mandrake or Mandriva for a while until Mandriva fizzled out and then transitioned her over. Let us know your thoughts on it. What are some of your Linux distro you know, recommendations, tips, tricks, all the other fun stuff for Linux noobs? Comment down the video, email us, and all the other fun stuff, and we'll have that conversation. This episode of Linux Out Loud is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentication such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. Make the smart move like many from the community and have a go at bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. If you're like me though, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the premium edition, especially since the premium edition starts at only $10 a year. And for that $10 premium account, 
you'll get things like one gigabyte encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F and Duo, Vault Health Reports, and so much more. Also, you'll get priority customer support, huh? Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. So while we're looking at ways to maybe deprogram some of our computer use habits and whatnot, Wendy, you are yet again looking at programming robots and doing more robot things. So what's going on in the status of the robotics? Absolutely. So we are recording once again on a Thursday. So we met yesterday for the team and I was like, yes, we're going to get so much coding done today. And that didn't actually happen. We did get their innovation project speech rewritten. That was one of the things that they had to get done. We still have their robot speech that needs to get rewritten. And it's not like a full rewrite. There's just new information from some of the experts they've talked to or different things that they've done with their robot. So those speeches just need to be updated. And I want to give the kids plenty of time to practice those so their speeches are really good and polished like they were at state. We only had two of the four hours in order to work on coding and actually less than that because they get about a half hour lunch break in there. So about an hour and a half in which we were doing some coding type stuff. We thought we had all things worked out. So the first mission was done and that one was still being really consistent. But the second mission that they would coded, there was some consistent errors in it. So it was time to step back. Okay, what are we doing different? And they decided to change some things up to be able to pick up the robot, reposition it. So once again, it was always going to be starting from the exact same position. Got that one running smoothly, which had been running smoothly on Friday. And so we are no further as of today than we were Friday last week. So with any luck, when we get together tomorrow, We've got all the kinks worked out and we're just able to hammer down and get a bunch of code written. We'll see how that goes. Right now I'm trying not to be too optimistic because every time I'm like, yeah, we're ready to go. Everything's good. There's something that comes up and throws a wrench into that. I really hope that we don't have to have just a full solid day of getting robot code written. But that's kind of almost at the point we're at. I am really worried about us not having it all rewritten by the time we fly out to Texas, which is really coming up. We are just over three weeks at this point before we fly out. So things are getting pretty, pretty tight. That means we've got seven more meetings and I don't count our Thursday co-op days. They're just over an hour it's one of those things like once we get started, then it's really time to go. Those are days that we're really going to be focusing more on presentations anyway, giving them lots and lots of time to go through those, practice those the best that we can. So with any luck, we will have the robot fully coded and well-practiced before we leave for Worlds. This is a massive stressor for me at the moment, but the kids have to write the code. We all need to be together to do it. So it's one of those things that can't really pull a couple kids out who've got more time. It, it really has to be the whole team and everybody focused on it. So with any luck, Friday, we'll just be able to get a whole bunch done. I would like to have run one, maybe run two, and that's being incredibly ambitious done of like the six that they have. So we'll see. 
We'll see how much my stress level changes between this week and next week. I've been meaning to ask this question, and I don't even know if you're going to pick up on the references here, but are you more of a Newton Crosby or a Ben, I think it's Yabatuya from like Short Circuit, the two doctors that were on there. The, have you seen Short Circuit, the movie? I have, but it has been years, and I mean years since I've watched it. So I can remember the little robots that are flying around, but that's about it. Oh, this is the, the one on treads. You know, don't disassemble okay. number five, number five alive. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it. All right, so <laughs> I'm going to send you a link. The one that I think you are, and then you're, you're going to have to go ahead and just disagree with me uh, next time you talk about robots. Okay, sounds but, good. Yeah, I'm imagining you are this <laughs> doctor of robotics at all of your times that you get together and work robotics. So I think you are Ben. I will check it out and see if I agree or not. I already know my kids call me the crazy robot lady, especially when I'm watching robot runs, watching kids compete. I look like one of those crazy sports people who are all like totally worked up and screaming in the stands and that kind of stuff. Like when we were physically there for FTC, I was a lot quieter. I was whispering things. But when we were home watching the Tesla coil run their robots, I'm loud. I say all kinds of things. I'm jumping <laughs> up and down. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe put that in the description <laughs> as well, the show notes. If listeners agree with me that I think you are Ben, I want to say it's Yabatuya or Jabatuya. I don't know how it's pronounced. Something I don't ever remember lines, hearing yeah. his last name, but Ben is what he was called. And uh, I, think, I think that's who you are. I will definitely check it out and let you know what I think. From the 80s. Good decade. Very good decade. And you are back doing some testing for Linux Saloon. What is on the docket for Saloon right now? I take zero credit on this. And I know Matt was probably going to make a comment. But we are testing Archcraft for our distribution exploration for Linux Saloon. And, um, well, I've already run some issues with it, but yeah, that's what we're doing. And I'm kind of excited. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Explorer, who's someone who's in the Linux Saloon uh, Telegram chat, he recommended it. And then the magic selecting machine actually ended up picking that one over the other two. And so that's how it goes. Nope. It's going to be nice. You're never nice, Matt. Just because sometimes you listen to your mother's advice of, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. I understand you do that. But that's not necessarily being nice. That's just not saying anything at all. And we can hear you thinking <laughs> sometimes. We've been around you enough. Yeah. I can hear like the <laughs> wheels locking up on the rails as I'm talking. Like somehow I can hear that going on on your side of the microphone. Nate, mm. my train left the railroad and the rails a long time ago. <laughs> Are you like the Back to the Future train that like it takes off and flies away into another time period? Uh, no, mine is somewhere down a main dirt road at this point, <laughs> trying to chug along with about three feet of snow. It's more so. like Polar Express, when everybody's kind of yeah. creepy. Right. Kind of like Polar Express, <laughs> Nate, where it is very much like your reception to Arch, cold. Oh. Yeah, it is. No matter what, I will pull something positive from it, and I will relay the positives. I'm not going to trash on Arch. Not on Linux Saloon anyway. I might make some shots at Pac-Man, but like, I mean, some people really took some time to put this together. The website looks very nice. It's very welcoming. A lot of great documentation. I'm still in the process of sort of testing it out, so I'm not going to say much now. People who do love Linux did put this together, and I think the road they're on is a good one. I just don't like the packaging system. That's really my big gripe. I think Pac-Man has got to go. Or be heavily revised. Be like a Ms. Pac-Man, where it all makes sense, and it's fun. And it's fun. And, huh? I mean, sure, you have to chase around the fruit, but, you know, that's kind of how it is in Linux. You gotta chase around the fruits to get what you want. I would have to agree with you. <laughs> Pac-Man isn't my favorite. <laughs> But once I got used to it, it wasn't that big of a deal. Of course, you have Zipper and DNF that you're working with on a regular basis. And so it makes Pac-Man feel even more 
awkward. I get it. I, get I mean, it. I got a reference sheet, so it's not a big deal. I have a reference sheet, but like, it's just so unintuitive. You know, it's fine. Whatever. Nate, mm-hmm. I can give you one that was, not is anymore, was far more unintuitive originally. Yeah, which is? Flatpak. Originally, yes. It was goofy. They fixed it. I'm not saying they haven't fixed it, but originally, like the original iteration of Flatpak was terrible <laughs> from a like installation of software point of view and stuff. Yeah, I, I really don't understand why it was that way. Like, I would like to have seen some of the original notes that said, this is a good idea and here's why. You have to know this very long esoteric URL that no one will ever remember. This is easy to install. Just type in this. Like, oh, okay. How many letters can I get wrong? In Nate's case, <laughs> all of them. Oh, wow. If you get one wrong, it may as well be all. <laughs> so anyway, Linux Saloon, we're testing ArtsCraft. And I'm just going to make a plug. So every Saturday night at 8 p.m. Eastern... We meet, streamed live on the Tux Digital channel on YouTube and also restreamed on uh, Twitch as well. But if you'd like to hang out, chat about Linux and, um, you know, if you want to test Archcraft, well, it'll be too late by the time this goes out. But you can check that out. We test out Archcraft and uh, we'll see how it goes. Get some great conversation out of it, I'm sure. You can find out what everybody's answers were by going and watching That's that right. episode of Linux Saloon. I'll have it in the show notes. Be good times. Maybe. Except for the using Archcraft. <laughs> I can guarantee I won't keep it. Well, actually, I'll keep the VM around just to see if I can keep it going, treat it like I do an OpenSUSE system, and see how long I survive. So, Matt, you are giving another game recommendation. Is this one that you can play while driving? (laughs) (laughs) No, this is not a civilization game. Well, actually... It is close to a civilization game mixed with XCOM. For those that are very big geeks and whatnot, Battlestar Galactica Deadlock is actually a XCOM slash RTS style or real-time strategy for those that don't know what RTS stands for. Thank you for helping the rest of us out. (laughs) (laughs) It is based around the first Cylon War with the 12 Colonies. So this is like the prequel to the 2005 reboot that they did. And it explores that first original war with the Cylons, the, like from a storyline perspective. Really interesting game. I haven't totally deep dive into it just because a lot of time is a thing. But it is definitely, if you are a fan of RTSs and sci-fi and you are definitely a fan of Battlestar Galactica, it is worth getting because right now, as of this recording anyway... You can get the base game on GOG or Steam for 8 bucks, And they both work on Linux. Nice. Honestly, Nate, I would probably equate it more to like XCOM, like the old school XCOMs, and like the, the design, the way the game plays. Still that strategy element. I kind of feel like it's making the Battle Stars, the vessels, seem like they're not all that sturdy of a vehicle, just by some of the videos. Well, this is also around the first Cylon War, too, where they got, you know, complacent and all that jazz, too. So there is that. <laughs> is this more like the new Battle... When I say new, it's like 20 years old now. The newer Battlestar Galactica or the 1980s Battlestar Galactica? Well, you had... <laughs> it depends which one you consider your favorite. <laughs> Because both the orig- original, original, like the 19, I think it was 77, 78, Battlestar Galactica, and then the remake that came in like the mid-2000s, were both kind of structurally and storyline-wise kind of around the same thought process of this. So you can pretty much sit apply either one. Design-wise, I would say it mimics more of the 2000s Battlestar Galactica. Okay. It definitely looks cool. I understand now, like, watching it, how it works. 
it's a little bit like um oh there's well, there's a Star Trek game where basically you control ships you actively then say what to target and attack and, and then oh it's uh, based largely on statistics I can't remember which Star Trek Armada sure you can tell me something I can remember what it is no shock there Star Trek Armada one and two those were games where you could play like the Borg and Klingon and the Romulans and Federation and all that stuff yeah something like that and uh, you could <laughs> upgrade your ships as you went along in the game mm-hmm. I stopped playing it when I switched over to Linux because I couldn't get to work on Linux and so I just abandoned playing it you might want to go to Proton DB db.com to see if they actually work on linux because i know gg has them on sale right because i have so much time i can invest in game playing and i don't need to get sucked into another game right now like i don't have time to get sucked <laughs> in at this point like i can play a game like on the periphery is fine you know like already i'm i'm getting sucked into those lego games lego star wars games i don't need to get sucked into anything else that like really really sucks me in because i can you know keep those at a distance oh well you know my kid's got the steam deck now i don't have time to be able to play on it no I'm no gonna go- no no, no. Let's be real. You give the Steam Deck to your kids to play, but it is your Steam Deck. Without a doubt. Well, it is. But I use it as an excuse <laughs> to like not play on it so I can actually get work done. Why would you want to do such a silly thing? Oh, I don't know. Keep my head above water? <laughs> <laughs> now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics. Hit the discourse form, drop us a line under this video, or on the contact form by visiting tuxdigital.com slash contact. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, you see the links at the bottom of the show description. You can find other great shows like Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and Linux Saloon, and much more at TuxDigital.com. Show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting the Tux Digital merch store. Grab yourself some awesome swag like the gamer-centric I pause my game to be here shirt, or you can join hashtag Team Wendy with some sinister Wendy swag. She's really that evil. Sinister. <laughs> As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of Linux Outlaw. Until then, keep the banner friendly of the conversation somewhat on topic and have fun doing it. Yeah.